Hello and welcome to the Future of UX podcast. I'm Patricia Reiners, UX UI designer and creative resident at Adobe. In this episode, I spoke with Christian Leclerc, a creative coder and founder of the studio Valspiner here in Berlin. He is working for brands like Google, Adidas, BMW or IBM. And he is a former robot dancer, computer scientist and choreographer. He specializes in the intersection of art and technology. We spoke about synthetic realities and how to apply generative design and artificial intelligence to the process to translate data into meaningful artworks. He also explains the expression machine creativity and talks about how to design human-computer interaction for our future. Let's start with this episode. So, hello Christian. Uh, so good to have you here. Um, I am super interested to hear how you started designing those amazing installations with AI and machine learning. So, I would love you to talk a little bit about your background and how you like came to where you are right now. So, um, I started coding and dancing actually in 1992. So as a child, basically, my mother taught me how to code. She was a computer scientist, and when the wall came down in Berlin, I was directly into hip-hop. So I started dancing a lot. And in the beginning of 2000s, I got more and more successful as a dancer while studying computer science. I was touring a lot and started to rethink uh, what I could change on stage, actually, to invite more people and to have more inclusive art. Because I felt dancing among all performers performative arts, it's like acting or singing, was the one that lost the most in the 20th century. It kind of went down, and I do believe it went down because it never fitted through media, it never fitted through the cable. So I felt like it might be good iterations to try and start using, using computer science and interactive systems to track people on stage and then have interactive stages that basically react towards the dancers' movements. And this is what I did then for a while, building interactive stations, uh, installations for theater pieces, or my theater pieces, and for dance performances. And then over time, it, it seemed to be also a good idea to incorporate visitors. So basically, it wasn't today it isn't dance performances anymore. Today it is for visitors and products and spaces and visualizations of data and yeah. That's so interesting too. Like use something from the analog world and move it to the digital world. That's really interesting. Yes, but they are, they are not <clears throat> they are not too far away. Because in dancing, there's also two discussions. So technique, what do I do? What is the thing I do? Do I jump very high? How precise are my toes? How precise is my body? How precise and fast are my hands? Those are all technical questions. And they are well known, discussed, and there's a lot of dancers that are very interested in getting very good at this. Mm -hmm. And it's very fair to discuss and investigate this. And then there is others that say, no, it's not about what you do, but why you do something. So can we see in your movement what moves you? So what is your poetic reason to jump? Where do you want to jump? What is this character doing? And this is a very old discussion. So. Um, What do we do? Or why do we jump? Or why? So why is someone jumping and do we feel this necessity of them to jump? 
So this you can directly translate to the discussion of digital art and digital design. So what is this thing doing? Well, it works with AI. But why do we use AI? And what is this new thing that can be unlocked through this technology that I now can feel? So this is like a poetic need. So what really fascinates you about AI or machine learning? Well, it's, right now it's a little, uh, the, probably the Pinocchio thing, right? So you have this little sensation that is an endless formula. And if you push data through it, it tells you back quite stunning things. Um, it feels like, yeah, it feels like it is more than the sum of its data. It is able to surprise me. It is able to uh, simulate a lot of things that I normally would expect from nature and humans. We as humans are trying to become more digital and we are also programming our robots to become more human. So where do you think is the sweet spot where it makes the most sense to use those robots and humans together? So where it's where, when is the best, best co collaboration? Well, it is absolutely right that you say that, that this, this convergence is activated from both sides. Humans reduce the complexity of their behavior continuously in order to optimize themselves. And on the other hand, machines become more and more complex trying to dive into our world. But it is necessary to say that this comes from both sides. We have seen this quite often if we think of art. For instance, people have for hundreds of years um, drawn simply kings and landscapes and tried to do everything to draw them as precisely as possible to, let's say, find out how perspective falls into a room, how shadows fall into a room with a so-called pinhole camera. Basically a little ring where you can look through and you see with little lines in space how perspective moves. And then the painter was looking through this ring and started to draw what he saw in that ring. So first of all, the painter himself became a photocopy. He became the photo of art. And then someone watched him was inspired by his human action of how he painted and then said, well, if you simply look through this ring, I can record the light that falls through this ring. This was the invention of the photography and this, and this outperformed the painter. So first of all, the painter became a photo apparat himself and was then outperformed by the photo apparat. But what happened here is that Fortunately, this painter was able to see and understand that drawing landscapes and portraits of kings is not a market anymore. And then he started to decide, well, now I'm going to paint not what I see, but how I feel. Mm -hmm. And that unlocked completely new markets. So we were always outperformed by machines that were inspired by our behavior. And then we moved on to new directions. So. What are you doing at Studio Valspinair? Uh, studio Valspinair is a studio that I founded about five years ago and came originally from human-computer interaction and today it's a studio for machine creativity. So we research if machines are able to add creative value to a research process, then if they are able to qualify this creative value, so can they help us to justify how creative something is and to experience. At the end, so to share insights about new technologies and especially machine learning, those three steps are very important to us. So generate creativity, qualify creativity, and at the end, enjoy and experience 
creativity by the use of new technologies. Yeah. So what do you think about the future of creativity? I I know that it's it's a huge discussion at the moment if machines are able to produce creative work, what is the future for us as creatives? We say that we are creative, but in the future maybe machines are going to take over our work. So how do you see that? This is very difficult to answer. Mm -hmm. or let, let me try to, to put it like this. Um, Everything that has a metric and a fitness function will be possible. So when I know that you are UX designer and the fitness of your behavior will be judged by how much and how many people enjoy this application, then it is possible to outperform you. Not only in the way we research how many people and where they look and how they feel, but also in the permutations we are able to creatively offer because we have this fitness function. Mm -hmm. Now, what the things that don't have a fitness function, for instance, in my opinion, will take way longer. So what does not have a fitness function? Well, if there's users that like your app between the value between zero and one, it's very quick and possible. It's just a mathematical problem. Right? statistical problem to find out what could be a better solution. But the things that have no fitness function are very interesting. For instance, when you walk down the road and you whistle, then there is some weird neural sensation going on in your brain that you think you need to whistle. Probably no one is enjoying it or clapping. No one, you will not find a, a, your life partner through whistling. Also, no one will refund you. There's no reason why you whistle and still you do it. Now imagine you would be a computer scientist and you would like to write down the first line of fitness function. What is the aim of this actor in space? Why is he? There is no reason. And this is why, as stupid as it sounds, whistling on the street seems to take quite a while to will be outperformed by machines because we simply don't know what makes humans do this. The next thing is singing under the shower. You know, there is no reason, there is no fitness, there is no metric how to measure why you do this and what's your goal. We won't make machines that start to sing under the shower or when you dance and no one is watching. Why? Why you move your hand, why you nod your head, why Why? Why you do all this? It, it makes absolutely no sense. And this is what's very interesting to me in general um, when it comes to computer science, is that those things that seem to be a mathematical sensation, a complete um, miracle, are very often not the things that we enjoy the most or that we value the most. I mean, how should you ever generate any value through whistling on the street? But in fact, mathematical is a miracle. Hmm. That's an interesting point of view and I think really well explained. So we don't have to be too scared to I lose all our jobs and like you can be scared because no one makes money with whistling by walking down the street everyone makes money with with a metric basically just calculate how much you earn and what's your contribution to the company or as a freelancer what's your contribution here and then we will find out how happy the client is and how happy their clients are then we will start to renegotiate and this is absolutely possible. Now, the the good news and the bad news is that it will happen with everyone at the same time. So, for instance, what's very interesting, you know, um, there's machines now that can 
describe in sentences what they see in an image. Now imagine you have an image here um, of us, um, a woman and a man sitting next to a table. Right? I just described what's happening in this moment. Mm -hmm. And that means that I compressed millions of points, millions of pixels that I currently perceive in this space to only one sentence. This is a cognitive sensation that we only witnessed in humans. It also does not belong in general to life because here's millions of species on this planet that is not able to compress all their impressions to just one expression, one very short. It's like a zip container. Mm -hmm. You put it into, li into little packages. Now, this is a huge sensation, again, that we haven't seen anywhere else in the universe as much as we know about it and not in any other species on this planet. But now machines are able to do so too. Now, this is an evolutionary step from, um, from a microscopic organism to a two-year-old human being in, let's say, 20 years. Um, that step is so gigantic that the next step, it's like tip-top, this kid's game with the shoes. The next step is way above all of us, in my opinion. So a lot of people think they need to study more in order to secure themselves. And if we are honest, we always have those values in society when it comes to education, how much you protect yourself and how much you are a simple worker and how much you are a high-level decision-maker. And AI that took the first step and then is able to speak about what it sees in images, its second step is not between a PhD and a secretary, so the secretary has no job anymore. It is about everyone directly, because in a revolutionary way, digital intelligence is not interested if you study three years more. This is not the level of power that we're speaking about. So if you ever find an algorithm that is able to outperform your secretary in writing intelligent mails to all your clients, to have an intelligent connection between all your calendars and to basically help you also as a human being whenever um, he or she can. This intelligence, this is needed for this, is also able to make a judgment about five KPIs in your company. It's the same amount of power that is needed for this. So um, this is the good news in that we are all in that. All in the same boat. Absolutely. So what do you think would be a good step for us now to get ready for this kind of revolution? I think um, I think um, when it comes to the core of it, it is true that um, machine learning has a little um, statistical, mathematical block. So it is not very inviting to many. But I do believe that there are ways to teach machine learning in a more abstract way, in a more simplified way, and help people, and this is what we also do a lot at the studio, help them to make decisions. Do believe that the value of craftsmanship directly, also data science and coding networks will decrease, but decisions will still remain. Business is something like trust, and it's mostly done among humans. So you meet someone, you trust them, and then you invest into them. That means I would love for a society to be 
as equally distributed in education as possible, avoid any further separation the way we have witnessed over the last the next 10 years. AI is able to increase that separation dramatically into decision makers and all those that have no choice anymore to speak because they don't understand. And I would um, vote against that as strongly as possible and invite as many people as possible into the process of, hey, look, this is what they do, A and B, and they communicate. Could you also come with an idea? What would be better here? And very often we encountered in our workshops that a lot of people are actually quite good at designing, designing machine learning architectures. They don't always know the right words, but they come up with new perspectives. They come up with decisions. They come up with opinions of what they want and what they don't want. But therefore, they first need to get an abstract feel of what's going on. And that is um, completely missing right now. It's just for a lot of people, it's just digitization. Mm-hmm. Now those apps and all those blockchains, and then there's virtual reality, and then there's, after all those hypes, and all of a sudden there's AI. The AI is weaved into the some of all those hypes and it makes people dizzy they don't see that we're not talking here about the same ai does not even belong in the container of digitization digitization belongs in the container of ai this is what it's all about and this is not disrupting any recent business virtual reality disrupts or aims to disrupt the idea of a television by having two televisions on two eyes now ai is disrupting a successful business, the business of intelligence, which is about 50 to 100,000 years ago. This is a complete different level of trend we are speaking about. And that is why I think uh, any healthy society should be invited to yeah, be educated about this as soon as possible. I completely agree. And I think there's, a, there's still a long way for Germany or the world in general about education in artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we will see how this is going to evolve the next decades. Um, yeah, I think definitely in schools or university, it's not a topic at all to talk about those things. So uh, I think it's awesome that you share your knowledge and opinion with us. Um, I think this is going to be really helpful for like many people, designers, um, to understand the things behind those buzzwords. And you are realizing like all kind of installations or projects integrating AI. And yeah, it's it's interesting to hear that even like specialists are um, don't understand those systems completely. And it's sometimes it's just about luck that you don't really know. Like you try something out and then it works. It's the same. I think in design, it's yeah, absolutely. This is of course also with AI. It is, it is not like we work a lot with this, but it's not like that I'm doing nice art and design and code some generative systems, then have a quick look at some GAN networks, make them in my afternoon slightly better. That is not how science works. <laughs> no, not really. Um, and one thing that I find super interesting in your project is that like your team is able to abstract certain things data or interfaces. I remember one project you designed for IDEO, Talk to Me project, which uh, was about like conversational interfaces. And there you abstracted those interfaces in a very interesting way. And for me as a UX designer, I'm always interested about interfaces. 
So maybe you can talk a little bit about the project and the idea behind, behind the interface. It was the following IDO asked us to design this interface for the Design Museum uh, in London. And then it was about the whole topic of the exhibition was about the, our personal future in AI. So we get older, we get really old, and then we are, might be alone. Or we might not understand our environment anymore. How can I help? Or is AI responsible for this? What are our fears and who could we talk to? And the concept was that IDO came up with, let's offer the visitors of the museum the possibility to speak about this with an AI. So you basically stand in front of this installation and IBM Watson is asking a certain question concerning your own future. And then you then you answer this maybe with fear, maybe with joy, maybe with excitement. And we're able to measure this and then turn this into a data visualization of all the feelings that people collectively have concerning the future. And when it came to the design, um, we are always advocates of visualizing digital sensations through organic behavior. Um, we started with this with the project Soap and Milk about four years ago, when in my opinion, still too many visual artists went for little connected dots and polygonal triangles that connect but always try to convey like hey the internet is coming we're mm -hmm. all in the network mm -hmm. and big data all those sensations were always um, visualized with uh, beeps and pops and then you saw oh no it's internet and it's technology it has very small typography and it looks always like um, the helmet of iron man and don't get me wrong, I'm a huge fan of the helmet of Iron Man, but I don't necessarily believe that the future will look like this. Now, we thought already with certain look that big data will probably not feel like this. It will feel very natural. It will feel like water and it feels like soap and it feels like milk. And it's continuously moving and exchanging. And we continued with that design decisions to be more organic with this Talk to Me project in the Design Museum. Now, what we did is we visualized and with shader graphics and a pond of water. And this is the AI. It doesn't have a face. It, has, it is not really an object. It's just a mass carrying something. And this pond of water is full of little pebbles, little stones. And those stones are individual conversations that this water, this AI, had with the visitors. So whenever you went in front of this installation and articulated your opinion about the future of AI, we measured your feeling, we colorized your individual stone and made it drop into the water. So basically the AI is just a organic mass continuously carrying the pebbles, the little stones of data it was once left. And then that was for us not only the most, <clears throat> for us in that case it was the most sensible decision to design it like this. Um, but also the most, the least frightening, let's mm -hmm. say, we wanted to invite to an organic environment that people feel. That's such an interesting uh, approach, actually, because I think if we are thinking about interfaces right now, almost all interfaces, if it's a website or app or all digital products, they all look kind of the same. They have the same patterns and we are carrying them around like the, for the last 20 years or so. And I was wondering if there's some kind of di disruption needed because like interfaces don't really feel natural at all. 
And it's so interesting to compare this to the installation, like the American Honey, for example, where it feels so natural mm -hmm. and you don't have this like, oh, it has to look futuristic or something feeling, just feels natural. So I would like to hear your opinion about how you, how you imagining like the future of interfaces and um, like patterns and those patterns integrated, like the, those AI patterns integrated into interfaces. You said so. So you said like um, it doesn't feel creative anymore to you, and then we need to define real quick what what you expect from creativity. So then you wait for disruption. You wait for well, creativity. The idea of creativity is disruption. There is no other thing. There is no soft way of creativity. What I'm trying to say is creativity is in fact that your output deviates from what I expect. So if you now ask or say exactly the thing that I was expecting you to say, then of course I wouldn't call this creative because I expected this. But if you have me, oh, why did she say that? So creativity is something that is perceived by surprise, as a surprise. And if you didn't surprise, you weren't creative. So what I'm trying to say is a lot of people think that there is standard and there is slightly creative and then there is the total disruption. No, creativity is always the output that we didn't expect it. So it is the disruption. And if you always see the same interface, then, then, um, then we haven't been creative. Um, it's that simple. Then we probably only implement it. And there's the thing, if they all look the same, and this is how neural networks work, then they will see that, that we haven't been creative. They will see that we don't deviate, but instead we center ourselves, all of us, around the same core, create a very specific redundant data. We all express those websites and those apps the whole time. They're machine readable. They see it, and the, the less we deviate, the faster they're able to say, well, this is what I can do too. So this goes to side. AI will soon be a very efficient user interface designer. But that is not the AI's fault. We need to create surprising content. And then we still probably can defend our status as creative, but we haven't given it too much. Yeah. yeah, that's right. I'm really excited about how this whole industry is going to change if all the interfaces still look the same in 20 years or completely different more natural more less futuristic less mini typography less um iron man helmet like i, I do believe um, yeah it will and it will probably disappear a lot so th this is where i think it will disappear that is not bad this is good user interface design um but therefore we will use two things. First of all, we need to analyze the status. So how do people interact and how do they feel while interacting? And then we need to make decisions based upon our observation and adjust. And in both cases, AI will be um, at least very helpful. You mean in the case of brain interfaces, for example? Or would this be too far? I'm not too much into that technology. I don't know too much about it, despite the regular information lately. Um, 
I don't know if I want to have Bluetooth um, to my phone with my brain. That feels really stupid. But mm, yeah, maybe maybe um, this can be. But I'm not only saying about brain interfaces, but interfaces that are so minimal that they are only around if you want and where you want like a whole new dimension of user-centered design not any company offering you a corporate design but you your design on your glasses on your phone everything you so as there's this big trend of user-centered design which basically is the idea of I mean, there was never anything else than user-centered design. This whole planet was made for humans, the way we architect and designed it. So I never really fully understood this trend, but it basically has that shift saying, well, we built a lot of things from the perspective of our company and our branding. We now want to build more for the individual user and for the younger generation. And this will be going in my opinion to the maximum we will not do this anymore from an artistic direction we will do this directly through data and ask this data what is this person how does it look how does this person feel when does it want to see our interface and how will, will it weave in this environment how natural is he maybe the guy is, is he tony stark does he does he want that and then he will get it and is that maybe someone that says well my world should be all tactile my world should be all tangible and I love the poetic sensation of touching real things and then that interface will be like this wow yeah um true that's definitely the next level of human-centered design if we would meet in 20 years, so in the year 2039, again here and would record another interview and I would ask you about like, uh, how, how was your day, how's your process, uh, like how's your work in general, what would you answer me? Mm. Uh, I really can't tell, but that, that is a good, the best answer I can give. I'm, I'm, uh, I, I'm not a futurist, and uh, I'm a strong advocate about, against everyone that feels like they know about the future. What we currently witness in our studio is that we play with huge networks that we press enter in a mm -hmm. symbolic way, and two days later they do something that changes everything, or they don't. And we, as the, as the coders of those systems can tell what we have in two days. It would be crazy for anyone else, especially those that don't code, to estimate how this world looks in 20 years, because every day right now it is possible to write the code that outperforms, or supports, or helps, or thinks about climate change and gives us a direct answer what to do, a complete plan. All those codes right now seem to be, well, kind of possible and that makes it for me and since I don't know what all those thousands of beautiful scientists right now compile what they press enter I have no clue um, I have no clue but I do believe that we will continue to ask the same questions and I'm and I would be very proud if I would be still allowed to do art that's a that's a very good answer <laughs> and 
And um, do you have a favorite resource? Could be a book which really inspired you or a blog or something that really inspired you or still inspires you maybe? There's some beautiful artists and um, environments that I like. I like the block of creative applications was always good since mm -hmm. the last 10 years. was always the little Bible for new media design and computational design. I do like for AI and art, the Art Noma mm -hmm. um, blog is by Jason Bailey. It's very well written and well curated. I love to follow some of my colleagues like Mario Klingemann, who's really doing incredible technical work. It's a, a sensation to watch him continuously trying new things. That's really beautiful. Um, of course, Robbie Berry, Min Watkin. Um, watching those guys is uh, very interesting how they tackle um, machine learning and design and art from their perspective. When people want to find you, follow you, where, where can they find you? Are you on social media or? Let me see if there's hashtags. No, there aren't. <laughs> so um, yeah, artistic projects like Blackberry Winter or Narcissus, they're presented on christianneoleclair.com. Mm -hmm. And our commercial projects that we do together with clients are at waltzbinair.com, which is mm -hmm. our studio. And we have a, a studio waltzbinair on Instagram. And we have a studio waltzbinair at Twitter and a and myself is also on Twitter. So you're on Twitter as well? Yes. Okay. Awesome. So I'm going to write all those information in the show notes. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, thank you so much for the interview. I think it was really valuable and super inspiring. Thank you so much for having me. So um, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Ciao. I hope you enjoyed this wonderful episode. Let me know if you have any feedback or recommendations. And if you like this episode, feel free to share it with your friends or your colleagues. I am always super happy about ratings or reviews on iTunes, so I would really appreciate that. Thanks for listening and hear you in the future.